welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for Formula Legend. On this week's edition, the Belgian Grand Prix, Max Verstappen makes a mess, and Ferrari doesn't win, again. That's all to come in this edition of the Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato, and joining me this week, you'll know his name, he's a technical expert, which is subtly different from my title of technically an expert, it's Craig Scarborough. How are you? I'm fine, Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing very, very well. It's good to have Formula One racing back. And we had, I think, a, a kind of fun race to reintroduce Formula One. We won't add Kevin Magnussen's name to that list, he didn't have so much fun, but <laughs> it's still a good resumption, I thought. It was, it was a race where there was lots of bits and pieces going on um, throughout the weekend and even through the race it's sort of punctuated by sort of various bits and pieces which uh, which, which is quite fun because we've had some fairly dull races uh, <laughs> in the second part of the season so far it's always promising when that doesn't come to pass uh, what people thought would come to pass from this race though turned out to be very different expectations didn't end up matching the reality but it all started with something as humble as the weather forecast it was quite hot in Belgium they had what I think most people called summer and that's not what normally happens in Belgium at this time of year and that completely threw people's expectations of of tyre life and endurance out of the window. I mean, you were there, Craig. Just how hot was it and how big an effect does that heat have on these tyres and on the cars? Well, I mean, in, in global terms, the, the, the temperature wasn't that high. It was just over 30 degrees C, which um, which is which is hot for sort of um, northwestern Europe this time of year. <laughs> it's about as good as it gets. Uh, it's quite humid as well. So, uh, although it wasn't like incredibly high temperatures the trouble is is that that comes in sort of with the the, the type of track that spa is which obviously puts loads of energy through the tires through the very fast very long corners which builds up heat in the tires so the last thing you want at spa is elevated temperatures you know to further make uh the tires life more difficult as we know that's sort of one of the big story of this sort of pirelli era that we've been in so um yeah the, the temperature the fact that there was so much sunshine and at no point with the teams able to kind of preserve their stocks of uh, soft tyres and medium tyres with uh, sort of a spell of range in some of the sessions. So everyone was kind of caught out by not really having the right tyre mix. Lots of super softs were left unused <laughs> by the end of the weekend. And, um, yeah, the teams really have had to manage both the tyre, you know, the, the, which tyres they were going to use and when to preserve them for the race. And then obviously during that stint, preserve them from, from the temperatures. And of course, coupled with this was, and I suppose this is in response to that dramatic tyre failure Sebastian Vettel had this time last season was the tyre pressures were quite high or at least if you listen to any of the drivers who complained about them being very high they were quite high Uh, and that created this sort of weird storm where tyres just weren't really lasting I mean it it seems like we hear these complaints often isn't it that the the tyre pressures are too high at least for the drivers was it how different were these to what we would otherwise expect that there were enough for I mean Felipe Massa to call it ridiculous well I mean I think that yeah every time sort of Pirelli seemed to up the tyre pressures uh, through the weekend the, the teams really start to complain and particularly the drivers because it's yeah the, the, the more pressure you have in these tyres that yeah that the, the worse the car feels and handles you get much less feedback through the, the steering and you know through, through the, the, the backside as the car starts to slide and, and it will slide with these high pressure tyres uh, and no one really likes that on the um, you know, the team side obviously Pirelli need it in order to keep these tyres 
in one piece. Uh, probably also uh, enforced quite um, a, a low uh, camber setting for the front tyres, which is the angle the tyre sits against the track. And that's, you know, almost half a degree, in some cases three quarters of a degree uh, uh, less than they were running sort of a few years ago. Um, and again, that really takes away some of the performance of the cars uh, through the turn. So Pirelli really you know, aren't making themselves any friends <laughs> with the teams. And the more you speak to the engineers, the more you kind of hear of the detail of the frustration and the way that the Pirellis are quite unique uh, as race tyres and how they behave and what the teams have to do to manage them. And um, you know, it, it's, it's a problem the teams have to get over. But... Um, at the end of the day, you know, the, the FIA have asked for these sorts of tyres. Pirelli have delivered them through this era. We think they're going to change next year, where there'll be much more conventional type tyres that won't degrade top to quite the same degree as uh, as they have over the past few years. But, um, yeah, it's, it is a big challenge, and the teams have to eat up a lot of resource to really understand the tyres, um, you know, uh, both sort of pre-season and then as, you know, the race engineering aspect of uh, race by races sort of goes through, that they've really got to have people dedicated to this. Hasn't we're in the third uh, year of this generation of regulations. We're having a change next year and the tyres are due to change as well. But how much of this crackdown by Pirelli uh, that has made so many people upset with tyre pressures and the like is down to perhaps Formula 1 underestimating how much development's happened over the last three years. We've got cars that are going much quicker than I think people realised they would a couple of years ago and a lot more downforce being generated. Is that playing into this year? Um, I think, yeah, I think, think things are kind of converging in that direction and and, um, you know, I think sort of throughout this era, the, the, the tyres have really been something of a step behind the performance of, of the cars generally. Um, but, yeah, absolutely, you're right. These these cars are now running way more than 900 horsepower. Um, and, you know, the downforces we see from the, you know, the detail of the aerodynamics is just getting greater and greater um, sort of every year. And, you know, even every few races, teams are making quite still quite big steps with the development of the cars. And, the, you know, the tyres are lag behind. But the way Pirelli engineer a tyre is significantly different to the way perhaps Bridgestone or Michelin have done in the past and that is what's causing the problem so while you know, it could be argued probably aren't quite catching up um, I think regardless these tyres are designed to act the way they are and but, yeah, simply the teams don't like it Now other than the weather, great talking point nonetheless, but other than the weather this race had a backdrop of Lewis Hamilton changing his power unit, not himself personally, but nonetheless three <laughs> times which is very unusual uh, it was exploiting a loophole in the regulations because he needed to change it at least once and you get a huge penalty for that, that's all being gone into I suppose, but first of all uh, there was a new engine specification for Mercedes, they had a subtle upgrade, which didn't really line up with the performance they ended up showing in qualifying. We'll get to that in a moment. But what we heard a lot about was Lewis Hamilton's car being set up for the race rather than qualifying, because he was always going to start at the back of the grid. How much of a difference can a, a team of engineers and a, and a driver really make to a car when they say set up for the race as opposed to qualifying? Because the performance between Hamilton and Rosberg's cars didn't seem that different in the race. Was there a big difference? Um, yeah, there probably was. Um, yeah, in F1 terms, maybe not from someone sort of viewing the car from the outside. It's not a visible <laughs> change. But because they have the, the sort of the park fermé regulations, so you can't change the car between qualifying and the race. There is always a degree of 
um, compromise that teams will want to try and get you know a good qualified performance but still have a car that can overtake in the race that looks after its tyres in the race so when you've got to forget about qualifying completely and think about what would be a good race setup in terms of how much wing you want to run how you want to run the suspension to look after the tyres your tyre strategy as well uh, and what tyres you're going to stockpile before the race if, if you suddenly move away from having to compromise everything to think about qualifying suddenly you get quite a big advantage um, and yeah, I think that was quite apparent during the race that Hamilton had a, a relatively easy ride and the um, you know I'm sure we'll talk about the safety car periods and things but <laughs> you know every, everything was aimed at having uh, you know get those long runs get some good pace on the tyres and you know because of the high speeds at Spa you need, still need to make sure that you've got that lack of wing that allows you to overtake along the streets and things so yeah it's, it was a, an advantage um, to be able to make that plan despite the fact that he was obviously starting at the very back of the grid and we, what we did see in qualifying Hamilton lapped slowly so that's besides the point but the battle at the front what should have been an easy poll for Rosberg he was counting on that this weekend wasn't really so easy was it uh, again a, a virtue of the temperatures and the tyre pressures which we've already talked about that was limiting Mercedes ultimate performance here or is it is it that the gaps have actually closed because this should have been a Mercedes circuit yeah it's I think it was a, a large degree to do with the tyres um, you know, Mercedes we know the Mercedes car is very fast it's particularly fast through fast corners and if you um, push too hard in fast corners it eats your tyres up so um, when suddenly you become a little bit tire limited because of the tire temperatures the one thing you don't want to be doing is pushing really hard through fast corners and as much as Spa should be should be a Mercedes track the fact that they can't push through the fast corners actually then makes it also one of their worst possible tracks to be having tire temperature issues so it's just one of those kind of you know sort of compromises and yeah they had to hold back I mean we have to remember that um, Rosberg is on the cusp of potential engine penalties as well so he was managing his engine as well throughout the weekend try to make sure he didn't push that too hard so really all he had to do was just a secure pole rather than you know blitz everyone by several seconds because he's trying to um, beat his teammate obviously his teammate out of the equation means uh, for pole position at least means that he was able to compromise a little bit and maybe he was thinking a bit more about um, you know race pace as well with his setup now after qualifying in which Rosberg did eventually score pole from Max Verstappen we had what was going to be a fascinating strategic battle on race day because we had these tyres which weren't working as well as everyone expected in the heat and some of the top 10 had split their starting tyre based on their Q2 lap between the soft which was the middle compound and the super soft one of which was Verstappen who started on the super soft who also took a a place on the front row Uh, the Force Indias were also on the super soft the Williams uh, as well I think it was and that was everyone in the top 10 or just about and I mean, this should have been really interesting. And the first stint was chaotic. Not for those reasons, it must be said. Do you feel like this race had a lot to give had that safety car for Max Verstappen on lap nine or earlier, rather, I think it was lap six, not come out? Should this have, have unraveled very differently? How do you think this could have gone? Well, it could have been a, a massively different race if we didn't have um, the safety cars. And typically, Spa doesn't, when it's, when it's dry, Spa doesn't tend to have them. Um, it would have been very different, you know, if, we, if the Ferraris were in the, 
in the game at the beginning of the race, they had quite a good-looking strategy, especially if they'd got ahead of uh, Verstappen on, on their tyres at the beginning. I think they could have um, held him back through to the first stint. Um, I think Hamilton's progress through the, um, the, the, the pack was obviously also massively aided by the safety car. Um, and while no doubt if there, if there weren't the safety cars, his tyre strategy would have really kind of brought him in there. Um, I think he, you know, he still would have been quite a distance behind Rosberg in, in seconds, if perhaps not in um, actual track positions. Because I think at one point he was, one minute he was 30 seconds behind, then there was the virtual safety car, and next he was like five seconds behind uh, Rosberg. So he, he massively benefited from the, uh, the, the interrupted race. But yeah, I mean, I think there was, uh, and I think the fact that well, the way that the Ferraris and, and Verstappen in particular sort of fought back through the pack um, constantly kind of uh, bumping into each other and uh, cutting across each other and uh, cutting each other up and what have you shows that I think the Ferrari, the Ferrari was a fairly good race match for the, the Red Bull today albeit that Verstappen was running with some, some damage to his car during during the race from obviously that, that sort of first corner uh, shunt. Now luckily we did see looking forward into the race we saw Ricardo eventually climb his way up to second through all that carnage and finish second Hamilton as you said was lucky in the safety car when you were watching how disappointed were you to see what who were at the time the only contenders other than Rosberg for a win the two Ferraris and Max Verstappen clean each other up and this is far from the first time we've seen Ferrari cars bumping into each other uh, over the course of this season really I mean do you feel like that there should be a lot more points for Ferrari at this point given that the car sometimes seems quite good yeah I mean I think that Ferrari is a, a really good car this year I mean I don't think at this stage of the season it's as good a car as the Red Bull has become, uh, largely because of the improvement in the Red, Red Bull power unit. But Ferrari seem to be completely at sea, don't they? Um, you know, even from the beginning of the year, they just didn't seem a, a, like a team that were cohesive, that were making the right decisions uh, in strategy and, uh, you know, sort of race sets up. And then even individually, the drivers making errors uh, in the race and messing their races up unnecessarily. And this, you know, this all sort of comes down to the management of Ferrari, which um, uh, really just isn't working this year and yeah I think Ferrari and that Ferrari and particularly the two drivers are far better than, than they mm. would appear from <laughs> from the results they've got this year I mean yeah Ricardo is is now third in the championship and I think deservedly so and Verstappen is amongst uh, the Ferrari drivers as well and really you know I think the the, the theory was pre-season that Vettel was probably going to be in amongst the uh, Mercedes drivers upsetting a pair of them but really his his performances we haven't really seen anything great from Vettel in terms of a result for quite some time and that's you know completely against what we would have predicted her and uh, really what Ferrari should be doing given you know their resources and what Formula One hoped for as well I think what we really wanted well exactly yeah well, it's fallen to Red Bull to uh, bring the chase to to Mercedes and uh, as, as good as the Red Bull car is at the moment it still isn't really quite a match uh, all round uh, for the Mercedes package. Just before we move on to the, the latter part of the race and the results, I mean, Kimi Raikkonen said after qualifying, and he qualified third ahead of Vettel, the pole was on for him. And looking at the sector times where he pointed out, uh, it did seem that way because he lost a whole lot of time. I think it was in the last sector at the chicane uh, compared to his lap in Q2. It was on. 
has this car taken a step forward, or is this again just a virtue of the fact of not only the did the te- the pressures and temperatures bring Mercedes back, but also this track features very few slow corners, which Ferrari tends not to like. Yeah, I mean, I think this was this was a race that kind of flattered the Ferrari. Um, Ferrari all through the year have stru- uh, struggled in qualifying. Um, it's been one of their real weak points, but. Uh, then their race starts, and particularly their race tyre management has been much better. So when you get a really hot qualifying session that wasn't expected, that really brings the Ferraris into play because it really gets their tyres working for them, which is generally, as we say in qualifying, not what happens for them. So, um, yeah, I think you know that this, this it clearly could have been a pole for Ferrari. Both the Ferrari drivers made errors uh, on their laps, um, and you know equally we weren't seeing the best of the Mercedes. So I don't think this is a step change for Ferrari in performance. I think we'll get to Monza and if it's a conventional race, or a conventional race weekend, we'll see them drop back behind the Red Bulls um, most likely through qualifying and then obviously the race it really just depends on situations and I think that will probably pan out for the rest of the year. I don't see Ferrari making a revival in the, uh, the latter part of the season unfortunately. Somewhere Sergio Macchioni is frowning. Maybe he's throwing daggers at a wall. Well I think he needs to throw them at some of, some of his personnel rather than walls um, <laughs> you know uh, ev- everything is there apart from the direction to get the team working properly and uh, you know that's down to just a few key people and uh, they're still in their jobs whereas some very good engineers and uh, other people seem to over the years have seemed to have been fired blamed for uh, other managerial failings but that, you know, that's kind of the perennial story of Ferrari th- throughout the decades uh, that you can just go back and watch the, uh, the James Hunt Nicky Lauda film and see very much the same story playing out um, <laughs> with um, someone having to organise Ferrari from the driver's side rather than you know Ferrari being a team that are fully organised at the managerial level. So painfully obvious, Ron Howard literally made a film about it. So <laughs> <laughs> you know there's a problem. Yes. And we look at some of the other results. Uh, Rosberg won the race, Ricardo second, Hamilton with that great recovery in third. But the latter part, after the red flag, which came immediately after that safety car, seemed like a fairly straightforward uh, decision for most teams. The, the majority of cars went for a, their first post-safety car stint on the soft and then the last one on the medium. A couple of differentiators. Hamilton did a two-stop after that red flag, which ultimately, I guess, is a three-stop in the, in the grander terms of the race, with two stints on the soft tyre. That, that aggressive three-stop didn't really work too well for those who took it. Yes, Hamilton got what he needed to do done, but when some people, I guess some of the engineers were hoping that that could maybe get him past Ricardo, it just didn't work out because the tyres, I, I think the tyres seemed to be not lasting as long as they thought even at that point in the race, having race experience, did they? I, I think that's, that's a big factor. Um, you know, the tyres weren't lasting, particularly the rears. And, uh, you know, Hamilton did spend a lot of time behind some cars um, and sort of struggling to get past because of the difference in tyre strategy. And, you know, sitting behind another car, particularly around Spa, makes the car start to slide, starts to degrade the tyre, starts to make them run too hot. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously Mercedes clearly thought they knew what they were doing with the tyre strategy and maybe the mediums may have worked out um, argue better for pace and for the length of the stints but um, maybe they saw something in the uh, statistics that led them to run on the softs but you know I think arguably the medium tyre looked like the sort of the perfect race tyre uh, yesterday and um, yeah, I think Hamilton really had to do something quite different to try and beat some of these cars. One of the cars he got stuck behind was Force India's Nico Hulkenberg who finished fourth 
Great result for him. Perez, fifth as well. Great result for Force India. Now above Williams in the championship, which we'll talk briefly about in a moment. But Hulkenberg was running second, I think, before the safety car and red flag situation, or early in the race in any case. Uh, Unfortunately for him, there was a lengthy safety car period before the red flag, which led them to pit him and essentially losing the opportunity to make a free stop under the red flag conditions. But had that come to pass, A, do you think he could have held second position? And B, how good a result is this for Force India, considering they finished only behind Red Bulls and Mercedes cars? Well, I mean, this, this yeah, it really is the story of Force India, isn't it? I mean, there are no, there's no team that manages a race and tyre strategy better than, than, than Force India. And with that, uh, Mercedes power unit around Spa, and what is now a very good chassis since they had their, their mid-season up, that's exactly what Force India are capable of, um, and it's a, a, you know, a fantastic result for them, you know, and it thoroughly deserved so. I, I don't know if Hulkenberg probably could have held second. I think that may have been probably a, a, a bit too far, but certainly, yeah, I mean, potentially a podium, but, um, you know, I think they pretty much got nearly the maximum they could out of that race for both cars, because it was followed home by Perez, and the fact that, you know, at a circuit like this that they've outraced uh, Williams, mm-hmm. which um, you know, is, is an incredible feat, you know, because I think we all respect you know, the ability of the people at the Williams team, but the fact that the, you know, the Tiny Force India team can, can beat them with the same engine around um, such a racetrack is, you know, is a huge respect to, to Force India, and I think goes to show what the second half of the season is going to show for them as well. I mean, I think they're, you know, just seems to be getting better and better. Um, but I think that out of that story, I think the interesting thing is that it was Holcomb that got this kind of tyre-led race result in rather than Perez, who obviously has a huge reputation of you know, sorting tyre management and uh, really getting great, great race results in from very different tyre strategies. Um, and again, this kind of underlines the, the, the benefit that the change in tyre regulations, giving teams three compounds to play with in the race for this year, really has shaken up the racing uh, and given teams like Force India the opportunity to play with strategy and to uh, get good results in. Mm-hmm. Hulkenberg and Perez coming home uh, next to each other essentially or one in front of the other with two different tyre strategies Perez with two stints on the medium to end his race to recover I think from a, a poorish first uh, stint I think I'm right in saying so he recovered well there but just behind all of them or in amongst the top 10 behind uh, Sebastian Vettel as well was Fernando Alonso now you'd think this should have been Jensen Button considering they qualified in the opposite situation Button was knocked out uh, I think the first lap or second lap by Pascal Verlein but Fernando Alonso Followed Lewis Hamilton, first of all, up into the top six by that safety car period and then managed to stay pretty much there, which is something not very many people would have expected of McLaren Honda even at the beginning of the year. Is this really a sign that that light at the end of the tunnel is? is well, they're really reaching for it now, surely. Uh, yes and no. Um, yeah, I think I think you know corners have been turned in the middle part of the season for McLaren and in particular for Honda with mm-hmm. the upgrade that they had this weekend um, with what they've been doing with the chassis. I think they're kind of getting there now. They're, they're not quite there, but equally, you know, I think some of uh, McLaren's strategy and the nature of the race kind of played into their hands. Um, first of all, you know, they are lacking power, even with this upgrade. They're still a little bit down on power compared with their competitors. So they set the car up, much like I spoke about earlier about Hamilton, is 
yeah, they're, they're working the card hard, harder in the slower sections, knowing that they can't go fast with the fast sections because of the lack of power. Uh, and that works in their favour. It makes the car hard to overtake because they get such great exits from the, the slower corners. Um, and it looks after their tyres much better so they can be a bit more aggressive from tyre choice. And it all kind of sort of plays into their hands. Then in particular, the other problem that the Honda has is fuel consumption. Obviously, we don't know quite what this uh, upgrade has done for that. But with the, you know, with the safety cars, the virtual safety cars, and the red flag, that all allowed them to save fuel, which means they were able to run full power for longer. Normally, they're having to, to, to manage how much full power they run during the race because they don't, simply don't have the fuel available or can't afford to carry the weight of fuel to, um, you know, to feed the engine with the fuel that it needs for full power. So it's kind of was really the perfect storm for McLaren to get a good <laughs> result in. And you know, both their drivers you know, are more than capable of um, getting these kind of results in. Uh, obviously, Button's unfortunately being punted by, I think it was Verline, uh, at the start. But yeah, potentially they could have had two very good finishes there. But you know, the result stands. I think it was utterly deserved by uh, Alonso, McLaren and Honda for that position in the race. And, um, you know, the Williams were trying to catch them, but, but they couldn't. Mm, and that's critically the next point, because Alonso's seventh kept behind him Valtteri Bottas, Raikkonen, who had other problems during the race after that first corner crash with the Stappen. And then Massa in 10th, who was fading really fast and was very happy the race ended when it did, I think, considering Verstappen was behind him too. Williams, as you've already said, this should have been their track. Now, they had problems in qualifying, didn't they? Something about uh, engine software, which is unusual for Mercedes. Did that affect them in the race at all? And if not, what happened in the race? Well, again, I mean, I think this yeah, there, there were problems. I don't believe it affected their race. I, I hadn't noticed any comments specifically around that. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it wasn't their, their idea race but really they faded throughout the race you know at one point they were kind of up at the sharp end because everyone else in front had obviously taken themselves out the first corner and things were suddenly looking really good potentially for a podium for for Williams when you looked at those you know first few laps but they faded back and this is something that we've seen you know sort of throughout um, the season is they just don't seem to have the pace the tyre management um, uh, and it just their races just tend to kind of drift away a little bit um, and it's it's baffling that a team like Williams with you know such a great history, such a great group of engineers, with the Mercedes engine, with you know stability in the regulations, and you know when we remember when these regulations changed in 2014, Williams was one of the teams that got it right, but they don't seem to have kind of moved on from from that point, mm-hmm. and you know they're, they're sort of you know consistently the same distance behind Mercedes, but there's just so many other teams now that have improved over those three years and kind of jumped in between Williams and Mercedes and uh, Mercedes so it's it, it's it's difficult to understand why Williams continue to have this situation there and you know there doesn't seem to be anyone uh, dissatisfied and banging on the desk that you know this just simply isn't good enough they just seem to think well yeah that wasn't as good as we wanted it to be we'll go away we'll do some analysis and find out what's gone wrong um, and as much as they improved their pit stops massively uh, <laughs> over the year and they're you know, consistently the quickest they've gained you know a few tenths of a second on each of the two or three pit stops they have in the race but they've not done the same with the with the car which 
which is baffling and obviously disappointing because again I think Williams are one of those teams that we all want to see go well you know they're one of the historic teams in the sport uh, they're capable of doing better but they just simply aren't and uh, you do worry about how are they going to cope with the regulation change are they going to get it right are they going to drift even further back down the grid and be overtaken by you know teams like you know, Force India and uh, Toro Rosso so you know it's a very competitive midfield and Williams can't afford to keep drifting like this well, that was the Belgian Grand Prix. We're now in the second half of the season. We've only got eight rounds to go uh, this year before we have, as you've said, the regulation changes next season. How many changes can we expect in a technical sense that can affect teams' ability to race throughout the second half of the year? Can there be, or are we just going to have this sort of, well, I guess it's almost a bit of a, like a fruit salad in terms of results. If the tyres work this day, if the track suits these teams on this day, and we're just going to see them almost limp to the finish before everyone can start again next year. I think it's very much that situation. Now, when you look up and down, uh, I don't think um, Mercedes will bring many more power unit updates. Ferrari have only got three tokens, so they're somewhat restricted. Honda have got a, probably a little bit more development they can add to the engine. Renault have said that they're not going to do anything else to the engine this year, which, again, really baffles you when you have tokens. Why wouldn't you use them? Um, so, power unit-wise, yeah, I think it, the status quo will remain. Um, obviously, the, customer, the customers will now get the new Mercedes engine, which um, I don't get the feeling is a, you know, a quantum leap over the other one, but it's obviously a useful, useful increment. Mm. Uh, and then when you look at the teams, yeah, you know, certainly the back half of the grid are almost certainly now locked into the package that are going to run for the rest of the year, uh, with the exception of their Monza package for the next race. Uh, and even at the front end of the grid, you know, I'm, I can't see Ferrari suddenly introducing a really big upgrade, update to the car that's going to make a big impact on their performance. Um, and the same with all the others. So, yeah, I think the step that you'll find in the second half of this year is what the teams are able to do with the package that they've got. Can they improve their tyre management? Can they do better with their prediction of race strategy and stuff like that? It will just be the, the good work of race engineering rather than the design office bringing new parts and new bits and pieces to, to, to the car to improve it. So, yeah, I think you're right. It's not, going, it's not so much it's, it's, it's going to remain constant because we've got some rather odd ball races coming up with temperatures and <laughs> track layouts Singapore is always a good one for an unusual result, depending on the weather there, as we saw last year. Um, rain in some of the uh, Asian and South American races as well. So, yeah, so it will be, it will be slightly unpredictable. But, um, you know, I think the general pecking order will probably remain as it's been. So the teams that have currently got a little bit of momentum behind them in the championship, like Red Bull, like Force India, uh, probably will uh, find themselves in a, you know, much better positions come the end of the season. It's all about perfecting race management. There's a second time I think we made Sergio Macchione frown during this podcast. <laughs> Impossible. Do other things, upon which we won't speculate. I'm sure it'll all come out in the press eventually. Craig Scarborough, where can we find you? Well, um, best place is on Twitter, which is at Scarbs Tech. Uh, that's where I do most of my stuff and it's also where I kind of point out all the other work that I do uh, I've got my blog um, which is scarbstech.com and then you'll find me in magazines like Autosports um, Autosprints in Italy Race Tech Magazine and other bits and pieces sort of floating around but follow my Twitter feed for probably the, the best places to find me Greg Scarb it's been a pleasure to talk to you thank you so much for joining me thanks a lot Michael <laughs> That's all the time we have for this edition of the Strategy Report. If you want to read more about the strategy of the Belgian Grand Prix, go to f1strategyreport.com for Jack Leslie's write-up of all the action from Spa-Francorchamps. Or search for F1 Strategy Report on Facebook or Twitter. (laughs) 
Formula Legend, the mobile strategy game, is looking for a new name. Search for Formula Legend on Facebook or Twitter and send us your suggestions. And you can now download the 2016 edition of Formula Legend for iOS and Android. My name's Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter and be sure to join me this time next week when we look back on the Italian Grand Prix.